0: Welcome to the Leadership Looks Like podcast. I'm your host, Kree Edom. Sponsored by Leadership Excursion Company and recorded from The Coop, located in Summerlin, Las Vegas. Join us as we explore personal stories of leaders who are making incredible impacts in their businesses, lives, and communities. Get ready to be inspired, see things from a new perspective, and learn new tools to help overcome challenges. This is what leadership looks like. Today, we welcome Jasmine Freeman, President of Hope for Youth Peru. Although she lives thousands of miles away, Jasmine and her team are able to effectively help at-risk youth who have lost hope. Learn how Jasmine helped build this initiative from the ground up, what happened when a flood devastated their Peru-based youth center, and why Jasmine believes volunteer work is so important. Enjoy. Jasmine, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Kree. I'm happy to be here.
0: So I haven't seen you since September.
1: I know, but I feel like I've seen you just because Facebook.
0: I know, right? Because of Facebook and um, we have a lot of common friends. We do. Yes. Yes. So that's nice. So what have you been up to since September? Oh, since September, gosh, there's,
1: you know, there's a lot that's been going on. Um, So running a nonprofit uh, from the board of directors side. So our executive director and founder is in Peru. So helping her from the state side, doing anything that I can. And also my husband and I co-lead a trip to Peru. Um, It's not part of the same entity, but we go and we serve with that same nonprofit group. So uh, a little bit, a different project, but also just recruiting our team, getting everything ready. And now we're getting ready to start training the team. We've kind of established who's going and mm-hmm. the next the next phase is here. Um and then working and 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 moming and uh gosh, I don't know. I'm sure there's other things, but those are the the big ones.
0: Yeah, do you need two of you? I would love
1: that. I would love, but <laughs> right. I would probably fill the second one schedule up just as bad as I have the first one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um you know, speaking of Facebook because you you kind of take that for granted. You don't see people for a long time, but yet you're following what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And um, I saw some posts about Peru. Tell me, let's let's dive into that a little more specifically. How long have you been involved with this organization? And what, first of all, what's the name of the organization?
1: So the name of the organization is Hope for Youth. Okay. And we're Las Vegas based nonprofit that serves in Peru. Mm -hmm. We're in a little barrio called Tablazo, and it's in uh, the town of Huanchaco. It's on the coast of, uh, of Northern Peru. And, um, we serve at risk teens, 15
0: to 25 years old. So that is what Hope for Youth is. Okay. And you're you're based in Las Vegas, but you're, you're doing your efforts in Peru. Why Peru? So we got there. Um, it was, it was all
1: back to a mission trip that took place several years ago and one of the women that were on the trip with me at the time um she and uh, her son was about the same age as my son so on the way back she approached me in the airport said hey can we go get a cup of coffee and talk so we did and while we were doing that she she told me that she had plans to move to Peru And that once her son graduated and, you know, she was kind of done with, you know, not done as a single mom, you know, you're never done, but she'd raised him. He'd be going to college and the next was her time to follow what her passions were. And that would be going to Peru and serving alongside another nonprofit. And she did that. She asked me if I would lead the trip the following year, which I agreed to and I did. And uh, after a few years, that nonprofit just as some nonprofits do, it just, it had to close its doors, but she didn't feel like her work was done there and she wanted to stay. And, uh, she identified, um, this specific group that she wanted to serve. And the nonprofit that she was working with before was kind of everybody, they served everybody. And so she, um, she knew that kids, teens were her, her group. And she started Hope for Youth and asked me if I would be on her board of directors So I agreed, and that's here we are almost three years later. What do you do on the board? I'm the president. Okay. So what don't we do? You're right. (laughs) We're small and we're new, um, so we all just kind of do everything.
0: Yeah. What types of
1: services do you provide? Oh, goodness. So we do prevention, So Mm -hmm. and that looks like having a community center. We're right in the barrio, which is an impoverished neighborhood. Um, The homes can be... uh, Nice with with brick and concrete, or they can be straw and dirt. I mean, it it, it can range from place to place, and they just kind of go right alongside each other up the street. And um, they don't really own the land that they're on, so they could lose their property at any time, but they just kind of plant themselves there in hopes to come down uh, uh, from... The outer regions of these cities to get work and and start a life. and um, so she's planted herself right in the middle in the heart of that community. and the community center provides things like English classes or dance classes, fitness classes, anything that um, we have a skill set for or a volunteer that's willing to come in and and teach the kids. We have it on the schedule and it attracts the kids to come in and hang out and they get to, create positive peer relationships, they get encouragement, they get support, they get to identify skills in themselves and develop confidence. So there's a lot of things that go along with that preventative care that just kind of happens organically in our community center. And then we also have um, rehabilitation. We have a detention center that we're partnered up with in the Trujillo area. Mm -hmm. And we go into the city there and um, uh, we work with five different programs and, um, there are about 50 to 55 boys in each program. It's a boys only detention center and, um, we're there five days a week. And so the programs look like, um, English classes. They do have like a fun day and then they also do some spiritual mentorship and discipleship with the kids too. So they get a lot of different, um, exposure with us and the rehab, we have a, um, a psychologist that is a full time volunteer right now. Hopefully, we can get her on staff at some point. And she does a lot of uh, work with the boys as well. So that's the prevention and um, aftercare when the boys are released or with the kids that maybe have some special situations. We have uh, a few that are actually living in our, our community center. So we have it's it's um, used to be a restaurant and a hostel, a fourteen bedroom hostel. And we have converted it into our entire community center. So we've got some kids living there with us. We've got uh job placement with some of the kids that are coming out of the detention center. They're coming to us and saying, I want to change my life. I want to do something differently. And, um, Just connecting them with with people that are willing to work with them in the community, or mentoring them, having them come alongside and serve with our organization, and then just you know helping them to find some of those skills and talents and abilities that they can move forward with into their future.
0: Okay, how long have you had the community center?
1: It's actually since April of last year, so one
0: year. Okay, one year. Yeah. So what was that like? What was it like, kind of managing that from afar? How many mm-hmm. miles away are you? Are you?
1: Oh gosh, <laughs> a <laughs> After, lot. <laughs> I'll have to Google it. Um, we are. We're a lot, and it takes a long time to get there because it's not an easy place to fly to. Mm-hmm. Um, it usually takes us a whole day to get there and a whole day to get home. Um, the The community center managing that from afar. It was interesting when when Iliana first moved into the community center. She was just renting uh, the first floor and by the time we went to visit her in august she had the entire building and she she let us know that down there oops i'm sorry i don't know what happened oh funny <laughs> a miscommunication or something or another and here we are we've got the whole building now and she had a couple of renters at the time and and now those are those renters are gone and she's just managing the entire facility but it was, um, it was interesting because you don't always see and you don't always know exactly what's happening. You just have to kind of be able to put the, piece, the pieces of the puzzle together and stay in constant communication with each other to understand where you're at on things. So it is, it, renting a nonprofit from a different country has
0: its own unique set of challenges. Yeah. And what are the biggest challenges? I mean, other than the obvious, which is, is distant. So it sounds like you have someone there Mm to, is there, how how big is the staff that's there on site? We have two from
1: the U S they're actually um, both here from here in Las Vegas, two women that are down there. And then we have full-time volunteers. We probably have three or four people right now that are full-time volunteers we're hoping to get a couple of them on staff this year, and then we just have a bunch of people that come alongside of us and serve on the weekends or evenings, and uh, some of the kids that come into our program actually are also some of our volunteers, which is great to see them giving back to their community. And um, as far as challenges go, I would say one of the biggest ones is not being there, Um some people are, are called to go and to serve. And, uh, that for me, that's what Ileana is. Obviously, you know, she was called to go and to serve. And in my case, I was called to do things from here and run, run things from the ground here. So I think it's hard to not be there. I'm very hands-on and I love, I love when we get to be down there for 10 days and it's never long enough. Um, but life looks different for me. And so that's how I get to, to be part of it. Um, also, I think just you, you never know, you know, like with with being in a different country, you never know what cultural stuff she may be experiencing that she has to make decisions based on what that temperature or that, that climate is like. And we as a board of directors may have a completely different idea because of how we are used to doing things or seeing things done. And so being able to talk through that with each other and understand where she's coming from and um, having empathy for that, where she's at, what she's trying to accomplish and what we're trying to accomplish together. So I think those are some of the things that we've all struggled with along the way. But I think that just being able to talk to each other through the process has been what's been our saving grace. Just being able to say, I know you're frustrated or I'm frustrated right now, but you know, here's what our common common goal is, and, and talking through that with each other.
0: Yeah. How often do you get to visit Peru? Um, right now, I visit once a year. Okay, so mm-hmm. you go once a year, but you're in constant communication. Yeah, with um with the team there, and um talk about what success looks like for you and your organization. Hmm. I think success looks like being there and being
1: active. Um, it looks like a kid who has found purpose for their life that a, a kid who realizes their potential um, a kid who finds confidence and who can um, just find joy in in life again um, yeah
0: I think that's what it looks like and for someone who does not understand or has never been to Peru tell me about the culture that's there and and how this this, really helps anyone who goes through the program and takes advantage of your services, mm-hmm. how that helps them uh, with their success. The culture that I've experienced mm-hmm. is um,
1: one of these These families come, uh, a lot of times come down from the jungle, which um, is nearby for them, and they come down and create these these lives in the barrio, uh, they create these homes in the barrio. They're trying to find... A, a better life or, or make a change for themselves, but maybe generationally, uh, they don't see that happen right away. Or, um, it can be generations later that they're still kind of stuck in that barrio. Um, marriage doesn't seem to be as big of a priority. So there's a lot of couples that create families that aren't married and, um, the men typically leave and there's a lot of single moms in the community and the single moms are trying to work and, and raise their kids and their kids um, may or may not be able to go to school because school's not, um, they have to, they have to pay for it and they don't have the funding to do that. So the moms are making very little, whether it's a dollar a day or somewhere around there that they're making uh, as far as their income goes. And they're trying to raise multiple kids with this, um, We've been in homes where they they raise their um, chickens and their guinea pigs and everything right there in the house with them, and they've got the dirt floors and the one mattress that everybody, you know kind of snuggles up and, and sleeps on together, and um, it's very it's very modest, but they've been you know very kind and very open and generous and and um, I would say that the kids though the the kids are the demographic we serve because we've seen that they just kind of get set aside. Like they're they're at this age now where if they're making p- bad decisions for their life or poor decisions, their parents have kind of given up on them. They're like, you know, why they've asked us, why are you here? Why are you serving them? Like they, you know, it's hopeless, you know, they're lost, they're, they're bad. And, um, we don't believe that. So we, you know, we just, we see that there's there's something there for them and that they, they can, have hope in their future.
0: How do you financially support Hope for Youth?
1: Okay. So me personally or (laughs) just anybody in general? Well, as the president, Mm -hmm. I mean,
0: you're probably fundraising and, and, you know, how do you, how do you make all this happen financially?
1: Yeah. So one, I... I have the expectation of myself that we give. And so um, my husband and I definitely do that. And then another is that I get out there and just pound the pavement and I'm constantly asking people for money. (laughs) I'm always out there, um, whether I'm on Facebook or I'm having an event or somebody on our board is hosting something at their house, but we're, that's, that's our job as being members of the board here in the States. And for any board, I'm sure that it's very similar. You have to find the funding to keep doing what you're doing. And right now it's all private funding and, um, we just have a handful of monthly donors. So I just recently had a birthday fundraiser and my goal was to try and get X number of monthly donors on board with us. Even if they were just giving, you know, a few dollars a month, just whatever they can give is um, is gonna be used well, and it's it's gonna go a long way there. So we're always always looking for money. and I, th- I feel like I've become um, like a a part-time fundraiser
0: or maybe a full-time fundraiser in my
1: right. in my life, right.
0: Mm-hmm. So while you're the president of Hope for Youth, um what else do you have going on? Um, so I work full- time. And, um, my
1: schedule is four days a week. It's typically supposed to be four tens, but I tend to do a little closer to ten or twelve a day and uh, try to get done what I can. And then um, my husband and I lead the trip to Peru every year, which is part of our church. So um we do that. and that it's you would think that that's just a one week commitment, but it really takes several months to get going. And um in addition to the recruiting and then team building and team training, Um, we have, my husband and I have four kids. Um, I, I have three with my husband, four total and, um, gosh, we, we just, we're on the go. I don't know. We're just doing stuff all the time. I love to have adventures and I love to meet new people and I love to volunteer in the community. So that's a lot of what fills my time up here is just going to different events that I can meet people that care about our community just as much as we do.
0: Right. When you talk about organizing your annual trip to Peru, how many people do you take with you every year?
1: Um, It can range. It can range. uh, The first trip that I was on, there was about 25 of us, and um, I've had trips as little as a dozen people, and this year it looks like we're taking about 16. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what does that planning look like? So we we start recruiting several months out because – it's a big commitment for people to make. And we want to just keep instilling that in their mind if they're, if they want to be part of the team. And, and sometimes it takes, you know, some people make the decision right away and some people take several months. Um, I just had a guy that I met with two years ago and he just messaged me two days ago that he wants to sign up for the team. And we we're, we were just about to cut off registration. So he had got in right under the wire. And I thought, gosh, you know, that, that took two years <laughs> to, for him to, to get to that point. But, I think everybody goes when it's their time. Mm -hmm. And, um, so once we get the team established, we have to map out our training schedule because we do, we want to make sure that everybody's hearts and minds are prepared for what they're going to experience when they're there as well. Um, you have to go in with an understanding of the culture. You have to go in with flexibility. You have to go in with, um, just the heart to serve people and, um, we have to talk about expectations ahead of time as well because what you expect might not be what you get so letting people understand what's ahead of them and then also giving that team a chance to create um, relationships with each other before they go is important they're going to be rooming together they're going to be spending the every moment together from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to sleep they're in you know, you have several days and, and travel, long travel with these people. So you want to make sure that they have a chance to warm up to each other before you get them on the ground.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you get a group of volunteers together, is that different for you than let's say at your, at your, um, nine to five job, or you said you work four tens, but, um, what is the difference between working with a team in a paid environment than working with a group of volunteers?
1: There is a difference. And it's funny you asked that question because I learned it after I led my first team and <laughs> I came home and I immediately went to, um, meet with the, the mission director and talked to him. And I said, I need leadership training. Like I know I've been leading in a lot of different ways at work and, and, and through other things, but leading people in this environment is different and we got to talk about it. So, um, you have so many people coming from so many different walks of life. And and in this case, they didn't have that training together beforehand. They didn't have the time to develop a dynamic. So we got to where we are now because of the lessons that we learned over the last few years. Um, at work, you you see these people day in and day out, and you have a you understand their communication style, you understand their their flow you know when they are you know good to go in and talk to or when they need a few minutes like you have just that that benefit of knowing that when you're with someone on a regular basis whereas these mission teams or these trip teams they get kind of put together in a pretty fast way and they only spend a certain amount of time together and they may you know they're using their vacation time to go do this trip they may want certain things out of this experience and um Sometimes that may come across as selfish to the other team members because that's not what the plan was or, you know, so having to work through that with everybody in their own unique ways, I guess, understanding who you're working with and what drives them. And then it's, it's similar to the kind of work you do, but you don't have the benefit, I guess, of knowing them
0: as well as you do people that you work with. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I'm just trying to think because, um, you know, when I volunteered with search and rescue, Um, it, everybody does have, you're right. Everybody does have a different expectation. So did you always know to talk about those expectations beforehand or is that one of those lessons learned along the way?
1: That was a lesson learned. Right. Definitely. It was, it was, um, we just, we, we ran into struggles with the first time I led and, um, you do have people that are used to being leaders. You have entrepreneurs or, um, people that are high up in the chain at their office. And so they go on the trip and they eat they're They're used to being a leader in their normal environment. And so for them to sit back and let someone else take the lead can be a struggle. And they may have, you know, they, even though they agree to certain things along the way, they may get there and think, you know, I I'm not going to go to dinner with the team tonight. I want to go and try this place with my significant other and, you know, They may not, may or may not be listening to your directive that it's, it's too dangerous to go out on your own. Or, you know, we all agreed that we would do these things and we've already scheduled the dinner and we've already paid for the, you know, so just certain things that came up along the way. And that's just one, you know, little example, but you do, you learn the lesson and you go back and say, okay, how do I make it better for the next time? So that not just for me as a leader to make it a better experience, but to make it a better experience for everybody that's going on the trip, because I want them to enjoy it. And I want them to come back and be happy with um, their trip and their experience and for them to be enthusiastic about Hope for Youth and for them to want to visit again, whether they go
0: with the trip or on their own. Right. And when the group travels there, what do they do while they're in Peru?
1: It looks different
0: every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one
1: of the things we talk about with the expectations is you may be expecting it to look like one thing and you get there and your uh, your assignment has changed. That just happened with our team that went in March. We had a team that went for the first week of March and they were supposed to be doing Um, some detention center work and some community center work. And then there was a fire in the detention center and they ended up really just doing relief work and they worked um, on cleaning up the detention center. And a few of them got to go and visit the boys in their transitional facility where they're being held right now. Um, So it's different every time we, my husband and I, when we led the team last summer, we did a summer camp or a winter camp for them in Peru our August is winter for them. So the kids were on winter break from school and we took them up to the mountains for a couple of days. And we did like, um, color wars and all kinds of fun camp games. And we did like a little spiritual thing at night with them. And we ate our meals with them and we just did tons of team building and, um, had a great time. Um, and then we also did some rehab in the community center. So painting the walls and scrubbing the floors and we sponsor a soccer team. So one day when we were painting the walls, uh, the doorbell rang and Ileana went to go get it. I was actually gonna, trying to sit down and talk to her about something. And she's like, Oh, hang on one second. She Goes and gets the door and it's the entire soccer club and the coaches and they came to paint. And oh, so cool. we were trying to find paintbrush, So every, you know, you, we didn't know that was happening. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I had just made a run to the, the Home Depot type store there and bought paintbrushes and stuff. And I'm like, darn, if I would have known, I would have gotten more stuff, but you just have to kind of go with the flow and you never know what you're going to be doing from day to day sometimes. But if you approach it with an open heart, you can enjoy it and or at least learn something from the experience.
0: Yeah. How does this experience impact your life? I would say that I I have more empathy
1: now, um, just knowing and seeing the things that I've I've been a, a part of experiencing. Um I think that I I try and look for the kindness out there in people because we do we see a lot of brokenness when we when we go here and even when we serve here in our community and so just looking for the people who are helping um and the, and the kindness and the the open hearts, the giving hearts. I think that um it's also impacted the way I parent. Um I want my kids to be able to see what life is like for Everyone, not just for themselves. So taking them to be part of the volunteering experiences that I've been a part of. They haven't traveled to Peru with me
0: yet, but I would love for them to to go on a a trip with us someday like that. Being involved with Hope for Youth, what is one thing that stands out in your mind that you just, you had no idea that this thing could happen and it really opened your eyes up to something bigger?
1: I would say that um, there was, last year there was a flood. In Peru, there were some really bad floods, and Ileana was in the states. She's our founder, and um, the the community was just devastated. There there were the the floods were coming down, and they were going straight through the areas we serve. They were just ruining people's. I described the houses to you earlier. I mean, it, think dirt floors, and there was just mud and and gook and everything, and all of their clothes and mattresses were just being. Ruined by this water coming in and mud coming in. And she was here. And she kind of had that feeling that we have like, I'm here. I can't do anything. You know, I can't do anything for you guys there other than, you know, raise awareness or support or, or, you know, whatever we could do from afar. And her team, um, of course, there was no staff. And most of her team are these teenagers, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old kids. And they reached out to her and they're like what do we do and she said you you know it's up to you you guys you guys decide what you need to do i i can't be there for you right now and which was really hard and they started to just look around and they started pulling together clothes and water and shoes and whatever they could find and they went out into the community and they started digging t- trenches and and hauling cars out of the way and just whatever they could do getting water to people and I think that just filled all of our hearts up. We were like, they don't need us to be there. It's great that we are there with them, but they've got this. And that, I think I loved that because it, it for me, it made it that if Liana decides one day that she needs to go home and that she can't serve there anymore, that they're gonna be okay because these kids know how to take care of their community and they have a heart to take care of their community. And um, being able to serve them in the way that we do just makes me that much more proud to be part of it. Right. That
0: is spectacular. I love that story. Um, how on earth do you juggle uh your nonprofit with your your job, your day to day job, and you have four kids mm-hmm. and your husband? Mm-hmm. How how are you managing your life? Um, you know, I just
1: I, I could come back with some kind of (laughs) snide comment, but really I, I just, you know, everything that I've picked to do, I've, I've chosen it and I've chosen it because I care about it. And if I care about it, I want to do a good job. So, um, I really, it's, it's a juggling act and, um, I have to know what's in front of me at any given time is what needs my attention and, um, knowing how to prioritize and, um, with, with the nonprofit work and the trip work, it was just me up until last year. And then I was able to convince my husband to be part of the the leadership with me and co-leading. So he's now on the board of directors with Hope for Youth. And he's never done that before, but he's letting himself be stretched and, and get out of his comfort zone. And he's also, um, for the first time he led a trip with me last year. So we'd never, we'd never traveled together on a, on a trip like that before. And, um, he'd been going to Cambodia every year and he'd gone to Mexico and done home builds and I would go to Peru every year. And we just kind of took turns tag teaming it and taking care of the kids as they were getting older. And right now our youngest is seven and our, our middle kids are almost 13 and 14. Um, and then we have 22 year old, but we, we just, he supports me in everything I do. And he, um, he just has, has a heart for people like I do. So I think having him alongside of me is definitely a help. Um, but then he has a side business and, uh, or a side hustle and he's got full-time work. So I, I think just both of us having empathy and understanding for each other when one of those things is calling us to, to put in a little bit more, um, and just being able to talk about that and flex for each other. Um, and then, yeah, just, being able to also, I guess I have a, a group of girlfriends that I reach out to and when I'm feeling like I can't take it or I'm stressed or um, I don't know what to do next, they're kind of like my tribe that I can call upon and and they just give me that extra oomph to like keep going.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. At your regular job, do they know that you do the, this work, this nonprofit work? They do. And do you, does it come up often in conversation while you're, while you're at work? It doesn't come up often, mm-hmm. but it
1: has come up on a couple of occasions. Um, before I leave for my trip is usually when it comes up just because it's natural, like w- where are you going or, you know, telling people to be away for a week or two and then getting the, the opportunity to say where I'm going. Um, I love to share it. I love to be open and let people know about, what's out there, not because of my involvement with it, but because I want that awareness for hope for youth and anybody that will lend an ear. I want to talk to them about it.
0: Yeah. Um, why should someone volunteer to, to do work in prayer or, or do mm-hmm. anything? Like what's your opinion about volunteer work in general? I think volunteer work, uh, it's,
1: it's life-changing really. You, you, get this opportunity to see life from someone else's point of view when you serve them and not just, you know, serve to do and, and and show up and shovel something for a while. I mean, that's helpful. That's great. But when you actually let yourself, you know, your guard come down and get to know who you're serving and why you're serving them and why that thing's important that you're doing for them. I don't know. It just, it, it opens up your mind to what the world is like for them and maybe what their story is. Everybody has a story. And when you give yourself, you know, the opportunity to stop and and listen to theirs and, and, you know, give them the opportunity to share it because it is so, it means so much to people to be able to share their story. Um, So I think for me, that's, that's been a huge, that's been huge for why it's important to me to volunteer. And it just fills your heart up. I mean, it does for me, it, it doesn't matter which organization I'm serving with um, the organizations that I've chosen to sh- serve with every time that we show up at an event or, or do something, you, you just, you leave feeling happy that you were able to take part in that and that you were able to help somebody out today or that, you know, you, you took the load off someone else. So I, I feel like it's, it's self-serving in a way because you feel better when you, when you volunteer
0: like that or when you give um, and it's healing. Earlier on, you talked about leadership training mm-hmm. and, um, you know, you mentioned when it came to volunteer work, you thought, oh boy, I need, I need some help here. Mm-hmm. You know, was that a struggle for you to do that? Or did you just know right away? I'm, I'm a little, I'm in over my head. I, I could use some help. It was definitely a struggle. I want,
1: I want to do things that I want to be good at them and I want to, you know, wow whoever it was that had the confidence in me to send me on that an ass- assignment and to come back and say i don't think i i did the best i could there and um maybe i wasn't as equipped as i thought i was to do that so it was hard and it was definitely hard to be down there in the thick of it and to be making those leadership leadership decisions and wondering if i was doing the right thing and um i think that just having that honesty with yourself though and that that's where you know I came in and said I, I need that training i like, I was journaling every night about the trip experience and just you know some of my journaling said you know said things like I think I'm failing yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know I just I wanted to I wanted to, to do it better for the next go around and when I when I did that, too, I also talked to some of the people that were on the trip just about what they were experiencing and tried to help help them along the way, but asked them you know what I could do to to make things
0: better. yeah, what is your definition of leadership?
1: That's interesting because most of my um work experience has been in the role of an assistant, but I keep finding myself in these leadership roles, and you wouldn't think that an assistant is a leader but um, my, my definition is that anybody can be a leader. Um, it's just really about who you are. And sometimes that is, you know, doesn't matter what title you have. If people, um, can see what you're doing and be inspired by you to, to take action or that want to join you and, and, and partner with you on what you're doing. I mean, those are, that's leadership, you know, that's where, um, you're helping change the world and, um, you're helping change people's hearts by doing what you do. So I don't know. Yeah. It's <laughs> a hard that, question. It is. It's a hard question, but yep.
0: it's everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you, you spoke about the, the kids in Peru and when you did not have leadership there, mm-hmm. established leadership, you know, those kids stepped up into a leadership role and kind of led by example. Right they did. Yeah. So too. I'm sure that was such a proud moment. Um, what do you do personally to stay motivated? Um, to, uh, you know, you have a lot of responsibility here in the States. I mean, what keeps you involved with this particular nonprofit and what keeps you motivated to continue to grow it and make it better?
1: One of the, my, one of my biggest motivations is when I get to go there and be on the ground for a little bit, I just come back so charged up and so full of ideas and excited to make, you know, do as much as I can to make things happen. Um, that's a huge motivator for me, but I can't, you know, I can't go all the time. So I also just try to stay in contact with the team and, and get the stories, get, you know, have them fill me in what's going on, you know, how can we help? And then connecting with people is huge for me. Um, if I can't connect with them there, um, just connecting with my community here and having adventures and <laughs> doing that kind of stuff just helps me feel like I'm I'm charged up to keep going and keep everybody else going.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, so I was doing a little research on you, a little background research, and I noticed that you spoke at a TEDx. Tell me about that. Oh, you went
1: way back. <laughs> yeah. So after my first year in Peru, um, I had the opportunity and was selected to be a TEDx women's speaker here in Las Vegas. And I talked about my experience and the reason why I went to Peru the first time. So I went to Peru the first time because my son was getting ready to graduate high school and it was going to be his last time coming to visit for the summer. He was living in Omaha with his dad and I knew life was going to begin for him with College and a girlfriend and a job. And I just figured summer times aren't going to be for him to fly to Las Vegas and spend, you know, months with me. And I wanted something special just for the two of us. And I, I wanted to show him my love for travel and adventure. And I also wanted to show him um, my heart for serving and what that looks like. And uh, it also was helpful that um, the Peru trip was when it was. And uh, we we went together and uh, I learned a lot of things about myself while we were there and about just um, what, what life must have been like for him too. So I learned to um, be silly, which was one of the things that I talked about in my TEDx talk. And when Troy was growing up, I was so serious. I was trying to prove myself all the time. And so I was, you know, part of proving myself meant just being a good mom and, and and having everybody look at me and say, oh yeah, her her son is is dressed nicely and he doesn't have any gook on his face and his hair's combed and his room's clean. So she must be a good mind. And I was always trying to prove myself because I was a mom so young. And um, I just learned to relax a little, loosen up, be silly, have fun. And uh, we got to really do a lot of that with the kids there, um, in Peru and just to, to love on your community, to love on your family, um, and to, to be okay with that. So, um, it was, it was a great, it was a great experience and I'm glad that I was able to share it on the, on the TED stage like that. How did you prep for that? I hear it's pretty grueling. It, it was, yeah, there was a lot of, um, I mean, you have to fit within a certain time frame, and there's a lot of guidelines that you need to fall within. So just like you do a a typical speech where you're, you know, you're, whatever your practice is for a speech. I remember putting um, my daughter's stuffed animals on the bed and like talking to them. (laughs) And my husband, I remember he was sitting on the bed at one point when I was practicing and he fell asleep. And I thought, oh, I got to change something up. (laughs) Right, right. Your test audience fell asleep. So I'm like, this isn't good. Um, And then we had a coach that we worked with as well who was one of the people that were on the um, organizing committee that had some experience in that area. And so they were assigned to us and and they would – let us know the hard truth about our, our talk and what we needed to change or, you know, remove whatever. So that was, it was good that we had that. I, it's hard always to hear, um, that stuff, but it's also so valuable. So you just have to, you know, open up your mind to what somebody else might be thinking from that other side and right. Let
0: it help shape you. Right. And I'm sure you want to do your best. Of course. On that stage especially. You do. No pressure. <laughs> is that the first time you ever spoke? It was one it, of the one of the first times. I
1: mm. had just a handful of speaking experiences in my previous work. Yeah. How nerve-wracking.
0: Yes. <laughs> so you 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 did your talk and it's out there for the world to see now? It it is, is it? Um, with the with the greatest screenshot. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm just making this, you know, I talk with my hands and so the gesture is the uh the screenshot on the picture.
0: Yeah, I saw that. It's I know pretty you're goofy. Talking about. Yeah.
1: But it goes but, with the title.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, um, And I don't remember the t- title exactly and you alluded to it, but what was the title? From Zero to Silly. Yes, From Zero to Silly. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's yeah. right. So um, tell me what... Uh, you journal every day. Is, is that what you do? I try. Yeah.
1: Maybe not every day, but I try to journal as much as I can.
0: And what does that look like for you? Do you just kind of write down your thoughts do you have some organized approach to writing in your journal
1: I wish it was organized it's a hot mess it's just whatever comes out of my brain and onto the paper sometimes it's a list sometimes yeah. it's doodles and sometimes it's you know me answering a question I think it's just what it it's what the practice does for me in my mind it is what's on the page isn't as important because I probably won't ever go back to it but just the therapeutic process of writing and getting stuff down and out of my head and out of my heart and putting it on the paper so you don't
0: you rarely go back in time and reread I rarely do I found a journal from when I was like
1: probably early 20s in my closet the other day and I sat down and started reading it and I was like I probably never looked at this since the moment I wrote it right you know but it's just it's just the part of the writing makes me feel good
0: Okay. And then tell me more about communication. So you are communicating with people in other countries. You've got your family here. What Do you use any tools or any type of methodologies for keeping those lines of communication open? I feel like I do. I do now. Um, Just watching people communicate with
1: others over the years and um, learning for myself what works and what doesn't work. Um, I remember even just in marriage and what that looked like, you know, 10 years ago versus what it looks like today. And communication is everything. So I think just being able to have that open conversation, that open dialogue with people is going to be the best. Um, sometimes when that's a little harder, um, just having the courage. So so there's a lot of courageous communication um, with people and making sure that as I, as I communicate with people, though, that I'm not um, – I'm not trying to be so courageous that I do harm in the communicating process. So looking at it from their point of view, their perspective, having empathy in my communication. Um, I remember having to let, uh, let a couple of employees go, um, from work. It was a previous position that I held. And I remember, um, when I was communicating with them and then just even asking them for feedback on me, like after they'd been let go. And, um, you would think that most people would, wouldn't want to sit and talk about that or share that, or they'd be done with you, but, um, keeping that relationship with them and them actually, you know, sharing their feedback with me was, um, really valuable. And I, I thought, you know, we must be doing something right here if we're able to, you know, continue this relationship or continue to have these you know, conversations with each other.
0: Yeah. So what, what is your advice in having those types of difficult conversations, but in addition to also maintaining relationship? I would say it just, it, it stems from understanding who you're working with
1: and understanding that person that you have to have that conversation with. Um, you can go really far with just trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes and, um, Maybe not going in on the defensive, you know, you, you want to plan for the different scenarios that mo- that may or may not come up and, and have things at the ready in case you need to. But when you, when you can go in with that, that, um, understanding of the other person in mind and wanting to really get something out of it for both of you, um, that whole win-win scenario, like, um, I think that there's just, a, they're, they're able to receive what you have to give in that moment a lot better.
0: Yeah. Do you maintain those relationships after, after the person, you know,
1: I have, um, I have, but I've also, I've, I worked in a very small environment. And so, you know, we, we got to know each other pretty well during that time. And I just feel like, you know, people, people matter, and, you know, every, like you, like I told you earlier, everybody has a story. And so while they may not have been the best fit for where they were at that moment, um, and they weren't hap- they weren't necessarily happy with where they were at either. It, it, so when we parted ways, it was an understanding that, um, was making room for what was really right for them
0: to come into their life. Yeah. A couple of times during this conversation, you've talked about lessons learned mm-hmm. and how you, um, not only recognize when you can make an improvement, but then, um how you implement it. So talk to us about how you do that when it comes to those lessons that you learn along the way.
1: Yeah, I think it it comes in the um those moments of reflection. Mm-hmm. So you have to have time to, to pause, which is really hard uh, to 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 fit that in. But for me that's where the writing happens or, you know, that moment where I get to journal. Um I maybe just reflecting at that time and and realizing that something um could be better or something has has some potential you know um and then figuring out I'm I like to figure things out and and help to improve them that's you know that's part of just me and so I have to do that for myself too and um looking at that situation or or that skill set and saying, okay, well, what could we do differently next time? Or having conversations with people before I implement anything. Sometimes I talk to my husband about it and sometimes I talk to friends about it and see what they're doing. How, how do you handle the situation? So just trying to use whatever tools you have available to you and then um, figuring out what's going to be
0: right for you when you start to move forward, right? Um, so let's fast forward Actually, first all, I'll ask you. Um, so, books and podcasts. I think you mentioned that you like mm-hmm. to listen to podcasts. What are your yeah. favorite ones? So, I love podcasts, and what I, I kind of binge listen to
1: podcasts. So yeah. Right now, I've been listening to Joan Gary's um, "Nonprofits Are Messy," and I think just because I feel like it's helping me in the current um, situation I'm in with my the, with my work in the nonprofit. I want to be a better leader. I want to be able to provide resources to that team. So I've just been absorbing everything I can with
0: that podcast right now. And I've been listening to your podcast. Yeah. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, we were talking about uh, Shelly Helbert's episode before we started recording and how that that one hit home for you. It definitely did. I have
1: a lot of of her story in my story as well. And I could relate to what Shelly shared.
0: Yeah. And for those who didn't uh, watch that episode, I'll put the link in the show notes, but, um, Shelly came on during a time when her, one of her sons who was, I think three at the time, um, they were realizing that he could be autistic. Mm-hmm. And so she shared her journey and, and, and how she's um, getting the services that she needs for her son. So that, that hits home for you. It definitely does. Yeah. And
1: we're probably about 10 years out from, where Shelley's at today, yeah. So looking back and seeing how much progress that we made in the last ten years, like I can just, if I could tell Shelley anything, I would just say that there's hope, and and you guys are going to be stronger because of everything you're doing today.
0: Right, mm-hmm. right. So true with so many things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah.
1: And oh, can I go book? Can I share my? Oh book yes, absolutely. So my favorite book right now that I keep going back to, and it's also in this realm, um, is Wrecked. And it's, it's Wrecked, and the subtitle is When a broken world slams into your comfortable life or something like that. Yeah. Um, the author is Jeff Goins and I think I've read it like three times and I just like to go back and, and it's on my Kindle app. So I just kind of scroll to whatever page and start reading, but no matter
0: what page I'm at, there's something I can highlight. So yeah, I love it. Yeah. And then you also mentioned you enjoy leadership training and just doing everything that you can to, to improve. I do yourself. Yeah. Yeah, Do you have any suggested programs or, um, material that might be out there for anybody who's seeking out leadership training? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I went to your retreat, which was fantastic and your women's retreat
1: and, um, the, the overall, just the way you set everything up. I thought that was, that was great. And then, um, I love Marie Forleo and I like to listen for her, you know, marketing. And so I, even though I'm not in a marketing role, I, you know, I feel like we're always marketing ourselves. So I love her training on that and just leadership
0: ability. So I love to watch how people are leading too. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I kind of disagree. I think your role as the president of a nonprofit, there's more marketing there than you probably realize. Yeah, that's true. You know, especially when you're asking for funding. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you have to know your product, and you have to know, yeah. you know who to ask. Yeah, you know, all of that stuff. So I, th- I would say marketing yeah. would be good. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. All right. So f- let's fast forward five years from today, and this is April 2018. Mm-hmm. Where do you see yourself in five years?
1: Ooh, that's a big question.
0: Um, it's big because I think
1: if you would have asked me that. Five years ago or ten years ago, I would have never imagined that I'd be where I am at this moment. So I know whatever I say is probably not going to be the exact thing, but I want to have my degree. I don't have my degree. Um, I moved out here eleven years ago, and I had just started going back to school, and then life happened again, and I got out of it again. So that's that's something that I plan for myself this fall is to actually go back, and so getting a degree, um, and then. I want to, um, develop in my role within my work, um, my full-time work. And I want to, um, be just making an impact. I want to see Hope for Youth, um, have substantial growth and I want to see us have staff and I want to see, um, a a great volunteer base, not just in Peru, but here in Las Vegas. And, um, gosh, in five years, my kids, one of my kids is going to be like ready to move out of the house. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, Which, it's it's crazy, crazy to think about it'll be a whole that, different right? season for us. It mm-hmm. will, but I just you know I just want to see a happy, healthy family and um, a woman who's been nourishing herself and her um, her growth over the over the last five years and can stand tall and be proud of what she's
0: accomplished. Yeah. All right, advice to anyone who wants to start their own nonprofit. Hmm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is that um, you you go and you do it and you stick with it and you have grit and you pull all the resources, people, tools, whatever you can, together to keep it going and to figure it out. Um, and that you just you take heart and know that it's going to be hard some days and it's going to be rewarding some days. And as long as you really care about
0: what this thing is, um, that it's possible. Is it worth it? It's definitely worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So Jasmine, thanks so much for coming in today, sharing your story. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. I just feel honored that you asked me. To thanks again. Thank you. <laughs> you can find the link to Jasmine's TEDx talk in the show notes and visit Hope. YouthPeru.org to learn more about the work that Jasmine and her team are doing to support at risk youth in Peru. Thanks as always for tuning in. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode, visit the Leadership Looks Like Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. Leadership Looks Like is a podcast dedicated to leaders everywhere. Our mission is to show that leaders come from all different backgrounds, ages, colors, shapes, and sizes. For more information about our project or to become a contributor, visit leadershiplookslike.org. Sign up for Fresh Start Mondays and get access to free leadership tips delivered to your inbox every Monday. To subscribe, visit leadershipexcursion.co forward slash subscribe. And finally, The Coop, Las Vegas' newest co-working location with a focus on community and collaboration. If you're a small business owner looking for office space and amenities and would like to be located in Summerlin, visit thecoopcowork.com. Until next time, continue to inspire and support one another through effective leadership. I'm your host, Cree Edholm. See you again next week.